Hello and welcome to this Bible study. Today we are going through Exodus chapter 9. We are going through the plagues right now. Today we are going to cover number 5, 6, and 7. We're going to see the plague of the livestock in the fields, the boils, and the plague of hail, uh, a thunderstorm that produces uh, lightning and hail that the world has uh, never seen up until this point. Um, the plagues are starting to get more severe. The hail is going to be the worst one that has yet been seen, and we're going to see uh, God give Pharaoh the longest warning that has been given yet to this point. Previously, uh, we had the plague of blood where the Nile was turned into blood. That's in Exodus 7. Then last week in 8, we covered the plague of the frogs, uh, then the gnats and the flies. Up till this point, they've been annoying. They have been magnificent and have been um, supernatural without question, but they haven't affected Pharaoh like these next set are going to. And the final three plagues, uh, it's just going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. To the last one, the 10th plague is the most severe of all of them. Um, And we're going to discuss this. So Thank you for joining. If this is your first Bible study, we're going through the Bible, uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, and we are on Exodus. So you can go back and and watch or listen to the others to catch up to where we're at. Um, But why don't you join me? We're going to pray, and then we're going to dig in and read all of chapter 9 and talk about it. Lord, thank you. I pray that you will speak through me that these will be yours, not mine, and that you will teach us. Lord, I pray that you will impress on us what it would have been like to be an Israelite or an Egyptian in Moses' day, to see your power over creation played out, to witness this. I pray, Lord, that as we're reading these words, You will give us the visual of what that would have been like to have been there and seen this. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to break this up into three chunks. Uh, We're going to do the first plague um, of nine, which is uh, the plague of the livestock of the fields. And that's verses 1 through 7. Then we'll cover uh, verses 8 through 12, which is the plague of the boils. And then we'll cover verse 13 all the way through 35, which is the plague of hail. So join me as we read uh, Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so they may worship me. If you refuse to let them go and continue to hold them back, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field, on your horses, donkeys, and camels, and on your cattle, sheep, and goats. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt, so that no animal belonging to the Israelites will die. The Lord set a time and said, Tomorrow the Lord will do this, in the land. And the next day the Lord did it. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one animal belonging to the Israelites died. Verse 7, Pharaoh investigated and found that not even one of the animals of the Israelites had died, yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. Okay, so let's talk about this is the plague of the livestock. Now, it's important to notice that it is the livestock of the field. Uh, This starts out with a warning, and we discussed this before, and I'm going to put this graphic back up. Uh, Apologies to those that are listening. But this goes through and shows um, the 10 plagues, and you can see that um, number five, there is a warning that's given um, beforehand of what is about to come. And then what comes is a plague on the livestock in the field. The NIV, which I just read, has the horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats. If 
you have a King James Version, oxen is also added. The ESV, the English Standard Version, has herds and flocks. The important thing here is, is that it is the flocks, the herds, the livestock, but it is everything in the fields. And this is important to note that, it, that this plague does not affect the livestock that is not out in the fields grazing. Excuse me, it, do, it only affects the livestock that are out in the field grazing. For whatever reason, it does not affect those that are um, in the barns, under shelter, etc. And we know this, um, we are going to hit uh, further on in the plague of the hail. Uh, there's a warning that's given um, where Moses is going to warn people to bring all of their livestock under shelter because the hail is going to be so bad. And if you read carefully, um, the warning that's given is it says, uh, verse 3, the hand of the Lord will bring a terrible plague on your livestock in the field. So there isn't a discrepancy, you know, because the question comes up when we're going to read it, why would they even give a warning for the livestock if all the livestock were killed from the fifth plague on the livestock? Well, it's just those in the field. Uh, there is, and as I've been discussing, the naturalistic perspective. And this, um, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, um, this one here, um, is a proponent of the naturalistic argument. So what this is saying is, is that God used natural means for the plagues. And in fact, I'm going to take a, a quick little uh, tangent here and read. This is the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary, Volume 1, which covers um, Genesis through Deuteronomy, uh, the Pentateuch. And it has actually an interesting um, uh, article here that I'm just going to read uh, briefly. In the 1950s, Greta Hort gave the most detailed explanation of the theory that the plagues described in Exodus could have occurred naturally within Egypt, given the right conditions. In a sense, they were a natural disaster. Hort believed that the first six plagues formed a progressive progression of events, each of which naturally resulted from one of the plagues before it. The next three plagues fit with the general pattern of the Egyptian agriculture and seasonal calendars. The last plague, of course, does not correspond to any natural phenomenon. Here's a more specific overview of this theory. Blood. The water did not change into actual blood, and this is just a theory. Uh, instead, it took an appearance of blood. This could have been caused by flagellites, uh, single-cell organisms living in the water, uh, flowing down the Nile from Ethiopia, certain types of flag flagellites. I don't know if it's flagellites or flagellates. Uh, made the river water appear red, and because they upset the balance of oxygen in the water, killed the fish. We discussed this when we talked about um, the first plague on the Nile. The frogs were already abundant along the bank of the Nile, but with the changes in the river due to the... Um, Flagellites, many more came up on the land. Their sudden death in Exodus 8.13 was caused by anthrax contracted from the piles of rotten fish. This then led to the gnats and the flies. The flies, biting flies, appeared for the same reasons as the gnats, um, spreading diseases on humans um, because of all the uh, rotting uh, fish and rotting frogs. Then the livestock plague, uh, this would be anthrax that was brought on because of all of the, from the flies, um, because of all the frogs and possibly the gnats. The boils, anthrax was um, symptoms, one of the symptoms is boils, which spread to humans by the flies. We'll talk about that in a second. The hail, though, doesn't, I don't, violent thunderstorms occur in Egypt during the time when barley and flax are harvested. That doesn't correspond to the previous um, plagues. Locusts, large swarms of invading locusts are known in the Middle East and Northern Africa. That also doesn't um, play into a progression. But these first uh, plagues of the blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, the naturalistic or the natural phenomenon, the naturalistic argument is, is that God used the natural means to bring about one plague to the next. And 
I'm not arguing against this. I'm not saying that God can't use uh, his creation in natural ways of doing these things. But the downside or the error that you can get into when you start following this very specifically is saying that everything in here can be explained by nature. The whole point of what is happening here in the plagues is, is that they can't be explained that it clearly shows the hand of God, uh, the thumb of God, as Janice and Jambri said in the last plague, um, where the magicians tried to recreate it with the flies, and they couldn't recreate it, and they gave credit to God for what God was doing. The whole point of all of this, everything that is happening with all of these plagues, is to one, show God's power and greatness in saving the Egyptians from excuse me, saving the Israelites as God promised that he would in Genesis 15. He says that you're going to be, he says this to Abraham, your people will be in bondage for 400 years in a land that is not their own. He prophesied that this was going to happen. And he says that when he brings them out, it's an additional showing of his strength and his power and that he is a redeemer, that he, is a, that he rescues his people. We've discussed this before. Isaiah talks about and references uh, the people of Israel being brought out of Egypt as a testament to the fact that God will be there as the Redeemer for Israel, prophesying for when they're in captivity in Babylon, um, a prophecy that would come to pass that God would bring them also out of Babylon. God also does this, so you have to show his strength and his power to his own people um, we had a verse that we discussed where God was showing a new definition of his name. Um, in Exodus uh, chapter 3 and 4, we get Yahweh, I am. And that name has new meaning because of the Exodus as a redeemer God. And we discussed that. Then you have showing his power against Pharaoh and against Egypt. They believed in the Egyptian pantheon of gods. And Exodus 12, 12 tells us that God is battling against those false gods to show what they really are. And we talk about this with each of these plagues that outpours, that there is an element of the Egyptian gods that are under attack, so to speak. So when we look and try to justify and explain through natural means each of these plagues, the thing that you cannot explain naturally is the timing, and you can't explain naturally the being set apart that Egypt, excuse me, that Israel is set apart so clearly. We have that in uh, 9.4, the Lord will not make distinction, the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and that of Egypt. We're also going to see it in 9.26 uh, with the hail. The hail only affects um, Egypt, um, and that also is a miraculous thing. To justify all of these natural things, these things happening naturally, you can see the progression um, of one leading to another, but the fact that Moses comes in and gives a warning, this is going to happen tomorrow, and then tomorrow, boom, it happens. And then Pharaoh will request, Moses, please pray to your God to relieve these things from happening. The frogs, for example. Moses allows Pharaoh to set a date and time. And for some reason, Pharaoh says, tomorrow, tomorrow, take this away. And tomorrow, all of them die. The naturalistic argument is, is that they all had the anthrax um, sickness and they all died all at once. But as you go through each of these, the timing of it is supernatural, without question. Okay, um, verse 4, God set Goshen, the land of the Israelites, apart. The plague did not affect them. As I just said, this is another sign, a clear indication that this is God's hand at work. Uh, verse 7, we see Pharaoh send investigation. So Pharaoh investigates, he sends, he clearly sends someone, whether he goes himself or he sends his um, uh, guards, he sends someone to go and investigate the land of Goshen that was not affected, their livestock was not affected at all by this. And yet, uh, verse 7, um, the end of it, yet his heart was unyielding and he would not let the people go. 
A hard heart is a dangerous thing. And we're going to see it re-emphasized over and over again. Let's continue on. Verse 8 through 12. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a furnace and have Moses toss it into the air in the presence of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust of the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on the people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot, so, excuse me, verse 10. So they took soot from a furnace and stood before Pharaoh. Moses tossed it into the air and the festering boils broke out on people and animals. The magicians could not stand before Moses because the boils that were on them and all of the Egyptians. Verse 12, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said to Moses. So this next plague that comes, comes with no warning. And it's really interesting. Um, Take a handful of soot from a furnace. If you have uh, an ESV, English Standard Version, um, this word, um, where's my word study? Uh, There it is. Okay, so verse 8, furnace. Um, If you have an NLT, it says brick kiln. That caused me to pause. I often, when going through, I'll use Blue Letter Bible, and I will look at all the the, um, biblical translations, ESV, um, uh, NASB, uh, NLT, any of them that are, when you use Blue Letter Bible uh, and you click on a verse, up will pop a bunch of options. You can look at the Masoretic text, which is the ancient Hebrew text, but you can also click on Bibles and that will pull up, good grief, it's probably a dozen, if not more, different translations. And you can see how the different accredited, approved translations translate the ancient Hebrew and the NLT calls it a brick kiln. So that gave me pause to do, to, to look at this word itself. And it's kinshin, uh, kinshan, excuse me. Kinshan is roughly the pronunciation. And the word is a kiln for pottery, a kiln of limestone, smelting forge, or furnace. This gives huge insight. I believe that you miss something when you just say, take a handful of soot from a furnace. Because when I think of furnace, I think of something to heat my home. I think of a wood-burning stove, and I think of the soot at the bottom. But when you think of it, of it as a brick oven, we discussed this before in Malawi, the, uh, the way they would burn their bricks. We discussed this of, of making a, a pyramid of sorts with a hole in it, and they would take these clay-formed bricks and stack them up, and then they would put a fire underneath to burn them, And they would, I mean, you have to burn your bricks. If you don't burn bricks, regardless of where you're making them in Egypt or in East Africa, they'll fall apart in the rain. So you have to burn them. So the command here is to go to a kiln, a brick oven kiln where the bricks are hardened. And the significance of this is ever so apparent if you flip back to Exodus 5. So flip back a few pages and let's read Exodus 5. Verse 7 through 19, Exodus 5, 7. This is Pharaoh speaking. After Moses made a request to let the people go, and Pharaoh's response is, who is the Lord? Um, He makes this this statement in verse 7. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. The soot at the base of these brick oven kilns is representation of Pharaoh's hand over the Israelites. The forced labor, the forced enslavement When Moses grabs this and throws this into the the air in front of Pharaoh, he's saying, this is is what you, the punishment, the the hard labor that you are putting on our people. Punishment was the wrong word, but the toil that you are putting on our people, this is the evidence of that. 
This is what you have done to God's people. And then, poof, God uses it as to bring about the plague of boils. Fascinating stuff to me. Uh, in the presence of Pharaoh, he does this. And verse 9, it will become fine dust over the whole land of Egypt and festering boils will break out on people and animal throughout the land. So let's talk about the boils. Um, I read in one commentary that it could have been any number of things. Smallpox, Nile blisters similar to scarlet fever. Uh, skin anthrax is the most common belief of what it was, which fits into the whole narrative of anthrax being brought by all the dead fish and the dead frogs. And then also um, malignant ulcers. We don't know exactly what this, the boils were. We know that they were nasty and painful uh, and had an effect over the whole land. Uh, and then th it is argued, the naturalistic approach is argued that it was the flies from the fourth, fourth plague um, were carrying the anthrax spore. But the challenge with that, the Bible specifically says that the the flies were removed at the end of that plague. So I don't know how you could make that argument of where did the, the anthrax come from if the flies had been removed at the end of the fourth plague. I don't know. And then we have verse 12. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. This is the first instance in which the Lord actually intervenes. Exodus chapter 9 with the sixth plague. We're more than halfway through in which God intentionally hardens Pharaoh's heart. Up until this, all the references to an unyielding heart or Pharaoh hardening his own heart were all um, Pharaoh doing it to himself. But we see that God has an intention of not allowing Pharaoh to soften his heart or to break his heart, not just yet. God has a plan in store, and he wants uh, to finish his his plan to show his greatness uh, across all of Egypt. And he uses Pharaoh as a tool, as a, uh, a, an element, a puppet, so to speak, to be able to bring about his desires. Uh, another thing to mention is, uh, and I skipped it, I got to go back. Um, so verse 8 through 12 um, is specifically the plague of boils. The Egyptian gods that are uh, attacked through the plague of boils um, are several, and it's any correlation to a god that has an element over health and disease, uh, health and sickness. And that's Sakhmet, Sunu, and Isis are the three gods, which we've spoken about several of those before, um, that had um, in the Egyptian theology these were gods over either health or disease. So in God bringing these boils and in God controlling them, he is clearly showing that he has control and he is God over uh, and above these false gods of uh, Sakhmet, uh, Sunu, and uh, Isis. Now going back, I skipped this part. The Egyptian gods that are attacked um, from the first segment of verse 1 through 7, the plague on the livestock, there's several of them. The goddess Hathor is depicted as a cow. Um, she was a major goddess in ancient Egyptian religion who played a wide variety of roles as a sky deity. She was the mother or consort of the sky god Horus and the sun god Ra, both of whom were connected with kingship and thus she was the symbolic mother of their earthly representatives, the pharaohs. She was one of several goddesses who acted as the eye of Ra, Ra's feminine counterpart. Uh, and is this form, she had a vengeful aspect that protected him from his enemies. Uh, Hathor was often depicted as a cow, uh, symbolizing her maternal and celestial aspect, although her most common form was a woman wearing a headdress of a cow with cow horns and a sun disc in the middle. She could also be represented as a lioness, a cobra, or a sycamore tree. Apis, or Hapis, uh, is another god, the sacred bull identified as the son of Hathor, primary deity of the pantheon of ancient Egypt. And then you have uh, Ptah. 
Ptah is an Egyptian creator god who conceived the world and brought it into being, the, creator, uh, the creative power of speech, uh, through the power of speech, a hymn to Ptah dating to the uh, 22nd dynasty of Egypt says Ptah crafted the world in the design of his heart and the Shah Baka stone from the 25th dynasty says Ptah gave life to all the gods and their kas as well through his heart and his tongue. Ptah is embodied in the sacred bull Apis, which I just mentioned, frequently referred to as Herald of Ra. The sacred animal is the link to the god Ra. So these... Exodus 12, 12, God says, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. So the Bible doesn't specifically say that the plague on the livestock is a plague uh, that is designed to attack and show that Hathor isn't a real god, Apis, uh, Ptah aren't real, uh, and that they are false. The Bible doesn't say that, but it does say that they are attack on the Egyptian gods. And if you look, you can make through deductive logic that the god of um, health and disease, those gods would be attacked when you're looking at the plague of the boils. Uh, gods that are correlated with livestock would be attacked for the plague of livestock. Okay, continuing on, let's uh, hit verse 13 through the end of 9, verse 35. Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh, and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says, Let my people go so that they may worship me, or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people, so you may know that there was no one like me in all the earth. For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Verse 17, you still set yourself against my people and will not let them go. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt. From the day it was founded till now, give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to a place of shelter because the hail will fall on every person and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field, and they will die. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside, but those who ignored the word of the Lord left their slaves and livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward the sky so that hail will fall over all Egypt on people and animals and on everything growing in the fields of Egypt. When Moses stretched out his staff toward the sky, the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed down to the ground. So the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Hail fell and lightning flashed back and forth. It was the worst storm in the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. Throughout Egypt, hail struck everything in the fields, both people and animals. It beat down everything growing in the fields and stripped every tree. The only place it did not hail was the land of Goshen, where the Israelites were. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said to them. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. Moses replied, when I have gone out to the city, out of the city, I will spread out my hands in prayer to the Lord. The thunder will stop and there'll be no more hail. So you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were destroyed since the barley had, had headed and the flax was in bloom. The wheat and spelt, however, were not destroyed because they ripened later. Then Moses left Pharaoh and went out of the city. He spread out his hands towards the Lord. The thunder and hail stopped, and the rain no longer poured down on the land. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts, so Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said through Moses. This is the longest warning that's given, and it's given before the most powerful and destructive 
of any of the plagues. So the sixth, seventh plague is the plague of hail. And it, it's, it's called the plague of hail, but it's uh, hail, uh, a crazy electronic, uh, electric lightning storm which caused fires throughout the land, uh, and thunder. Um, verse 15, if God wanted to, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. God could have, uh, as I said at the very beginning of going through Exodus, God have, could have just snapped his fingers and created some massive Godzilla-type creature that never existed before just to absolutely destroy Pharaoh and all of Egypt. But that was not God's intent. God's intent here is not to just bring pain on Egypt. He is doing this for a reason, and he says it in verse 16. I have raised you up, and this is specifically Pharaoh he's speaking to. I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. God is showing to Israel, to Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to us today that he is sovereign and in control over his creation. And he is still sovereign over his creation today in the same way he was back then. And Pharaoh, having his heart be hardened, his heart be hardened, God is able to pour out each of these individual plagues that show his power over his creation. God is unleashing his creation, which was given to man to be steward of. And this is God showing what happens when God tweaks it to do what it wasn't designed to do, to do it what God alone could make it do. It's powerful stuff. And you, you have to ask this question, verse 19 through 21 is where Moses goes before Pharaoh and he pleads and he says, this next plague is going to be horrible. Bring everybody inside. Bring your livestock. I have to picture that when Moses is saying this to Pharaoh in the throne room of Pharaoh, I, I can only imagine that, yes, Pharaoh is sitting there, but I would see Moses speaking this to every official, every servant, every person that is in this room. He is saying, run, Bring your livestock, bring your family, anyone that's out in the field, bring them inside for tomorrow this is going to hit and it is going to be severe. And we see actually in verse 20, those officials of Pharaoh who feared the word of the Lord hurried to bring slave and livestock inside. Imagine that you are one of Pharaoh's officials and you are witness to Moses and Aaron, at the very beginning, even coming in and, and showing the sign of God with Aaron's staff being turned into a serpent. You have witnessed these things. You witnessed Moses give warning after warning after warning, and you have now seen your king with his heart be hardened, and you've seen the, the magicians and sorcerers try to recreate these plagues, but they're not able to. Yes, they were able to recreate uh, the staff turning into a snake. They were able to recreate the Nile turning into blood, and they were able to um, bring frogs out, but they couldn't recreate anything beyond that. Despite the sorcery that they tried to do, they, the magicians and sorcerers, even went to Pharaoh and said, this is of God. Something is happening here. Pharaoh stood with his heart hard, but I have to imagine if you are an official that's in Presence of Pharaoh, yes, you fear, fear Pharaoh, but now you are seeing the power of God. I myself would have left that spot and gone out into the, my home, my field, anybody I know, and say, get inside. The God of the Hebrews is going to do something crazy, going to do something powerful. Uh, verse 19 through 20, I just went over. Verse 23 through 25. This is the worst thunderstorm ever experienced in Egypt. Read the different translations for different descriptions. Um, Eugene Peterson is the author of The Message, and The Message is a, um, not a translation, it is a summary. So what The Message is, it is a very, um, in translations of the Bible, you have uh, word for word and thought for thought. And this is looking at how does the translation look at the ancient Hebrew and the word for word tries to translate every single word 
into the modern English and what would be appropriate. Thought for thought looks at the full sentence and says, okay, rather than focusing on individual words, what is the thought that the text is trying to get away, get explain here? What is the text trying to uh, uh, show us? Eugene Peterson in The Message is an even bigger view than that. And I like to read The Message as just to get a picture in my mind of what that would have been like. Read the message translation of the Plague of Hail and imagine that you are in Goshen. Imagine you are an Israelite that is watching this amazing thunderstorm, the lightning, the fire that comes from this, and the massive hail that comes down. And to be in Goshen, to be set apart and see these things happen would have been amazing. I'm from the Northwest, I'm from Seattle, and when I was 18, I went to Boulder, Colorado, to the University of Colorado. And I remember in late September, early October, a thunderstorm came through. Anyone who's ever lived in Colorado, in particular along the Front Range, knows um, the thunderstorms that can form are epic. Colorado is, the east third of it is flat plains. It's Nebraska, it's flat, it's farmland. And then you hit the Rocky Mountain Plate that, that is just these mountains that just jet out from the ground and they go up thousands of feet out of nowhere. And that's where you get the front range. Boulder is, uh, with the Flatirons is right at the base of that. And you get cold air that hits warm air and you get these massive thunderstorms. And I remember the first thunderstorm as a freshman. Um, I went outside because I, I heard a boom and I went outside and the biggest thunderhead I'd ever seen, this just massive cloud was forming, so black, yet the sun was coming through and lighting up the trees with the contrast of the black behind it. And then uh, a lightning bolt struck very close and the thunder that followed shook me and all the car alarms in the parking lot went off. I don't know if you've ever been in a thunderstorm that's that powerful, but when car alarms start going off because the thunderclap is so loud, you know that's a severe storm. And when I read this, when I read Exodus 9, I would have been in awe. I would have been terrified for my life if I were in Egypt. And I would be questioning everything, God's existence at this point. I would be watching all these things happen and, and I'd say, this God of the Hebrews is real. I need to learn more about who this God is. <sighs> Continuing on, um, verse 31 and 32 are an interesting little insert. Uh, and my NIV actually has them in parentheses. The flax and barley were destroyed since the barley had headed and the flax was in bloom. From this, we learn the time of year that this happened. This is either January or February. In Egypt, uh, in agriculture, the flax and barley are ripe for harvest in January and February. So we know that it had to have been in this time that this plague hit. And both of these crops were completely destroyed. But we know that the wheat and the spelt were not destroyed because they had not ripened yet. The grain had not yet um, come to head um, and it was spared uh, because of that. And then we see verse 35, uh, Pharaoh's heart was hard. Um, an interesting um, verse that I skipped over and I apologize, verse 27 and 28. In the midst of the storm, Pharaoh is freaking out and he calls to Moses and he says, this time I have sinned. He said to them, the Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to the Lord for we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any longer. When you read through and you come across this the first time, there's a little victory. Yay! Pharaoh's heart is no longer hard. He's realized that God is God and that Pharaoh is not, and he has yielded his power and has said, yes, 
you can go. But then uh, verse 30, Moses says, I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. And we're going to see next week in Exodus 10, we're going to see that Pharaoh is going to say the exact same thing. Exodus 10, 16, um, Pharaoh is going to quickly summon Moses and Aaron and say, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now forgive me uh, my sin once more and pray to the Lord your God. This is going to be a trend, and Moses knows very well that uh, Pharaoh is just trying to get out of the pain of what's happening. And as soon as God relents, as soon as Moses goes and prays, the storm stops. And then this is where we get when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and thunder had stopped, he sinned again. He and his officials hardened their hearts. So Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not let the Israelites go, just as the Lord had said. Now, uh, looking at this as what Egyptian gods could this be an attack on the hail, lightning, and thunder? Well, this covers a whole lot of them. Um, the few that uh, can easily be put in are uh, the, the sky goddess Nut, N-U-T. I don't know if that's the proper way to pronounce it, but uh, Nut is a daughter of Shu and Tafnut. Her brother and husband, Geb, she had four children, Osiris, Set, Isis, and Nephtes, to which uh, is added Horus in a Greco-Egyptian version of the myth of Nut and Geb. She is considered one of the oldest deities among the Egyptian pantheon, with her origin being found in the creation story of Heliopolis. She was originally the goddess of the nighttime sky, but eventually became referred to simply as the sky goddess, thus an attack of a massive thunderstorm would be attack on her. Um, her headdress was the hieroglyph uh, of part of her name and a pot, which may also symbolize the uterus, most distinctly depicted. Uh, she was most often depicted in a nude human form. Nut was also sometimes depicted in the form of a cow whose great body formed the sky and the heavens. Also Osiris and Set, um, who we've spoken about both of these gods before. Uh, Osiris is also known as the um, crop fertility god, and Set is sometimes known as the storm god. So it's understandable why it's possible that those were, um, that the attack of the, the plague of the hail and thunder and lightning is an attack on those um, Egyptian gods as well as others. As we wrap up, application. I've spoken about this before. Whenever you read the Bible, the first thing to always look at is who is the author and who are they writing to in the original time and day of it being written. We've spoken about this before. Moses is the author of Exodus and he wrote at some point during the desert wanderings. We know this because Moses dies just at the end of Deuteronomy before Joshua. Joshua will take over and go into the promised land. And that's where we get the transition of power from Moses to Joshua, which God um, passes on. So the original author of this is Moses and the original audience is Israel, the people of Israel. This is a reminder for them of what God did for them, the power that God has uh, over his creation, and the fact, again, as I've said before, of his redemptive power, that he has not forgotten them and that he will save them. And that, I believe, is our takeaway still to this day, is, is that our God is a redeeming God that does intend to save us, but that God does have power over his creation. We don't see it nearly as often uh, or as um, blatantly as the Egyptians or Israelites would have seen it in Moses' day, but he gives us his word to see situations and miraculous things that had been done in the past. Noah, Noah and the flood happened. It did happen. The Creation Museum I've mentioned before Uh, is an amazing uh, museum that exists uh, just outside of Cincinnati, which looks at all of the science behind the Bible and looks at the historical evidence that exists 
to support a global flood. We learn by reading about it in Genesis why it happened and what we can learn from it. The other takeaway as we look at it today, as I wrap up here, is looking at uh, the power and the destruction of a hard heart. Uh, there's a few things that uh, verses uh, that I want to hit on here. Um, Psalm 18. Uh, actually, let's flip there. Let's flip over to Psalms. Psalms 18. Uh, that's Leviticus. Let's go to Psalm. Yeah, so the book of Psalms and flip with me to 18. Psalm 18, verse 25. Psalm 18, verse 25. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the devious, you show yourself shrewd. Pharaoh was devious. Pharaoh was shrewd, and God deals with him as, as such. Another verse that I want to hit on is Ephesians 4, 18. I'll give you a second to get there. Ephesians 4, verse 18. This is in the middle of um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I would read all of chapter 4. We're jumping in. Um, eight, verse 18, but uh, I'm actually going to start reading at 17. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Verse 19, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. From the outside, before I was a Christian, I looked at things differently. My heart was hardened. I was calloused. And I was oblivious. I didn't even realize the stuff I was doing or saying or watching and what the effect it had on me. I was very much of the world. I was living in it, and I didn't realize how bad it was and how much of an effect it had on me. When I was in Colorado as a freshman is when God got through to me and I invited him, invited him in. Um, Exodus, uh, excuse me, Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door and I knock. And to you, he who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It's that verse that really struck me. And I opened the door. And that process of opening the door and inviting God into my life, my heart broke. And over a period of time, it wasn't instantaneous. I started to see all the sin, all the things that I was doing that I didn't realize how destructive they were in my life because I was in the midst of it. I was surrounded by it. But when God called me out of that, much like um, when Jesus is uh, confronted by the woman caught in adultery, um, all of the... Uh, uh, men of the Sanhedrin bring this woman caught in adultery before Jesus and they say, she is caught in the act of adultery. She should be stoned. And Jesus says, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, each of these guys that's ready to kill her drops the stones in front of them simply because they know they themselves are sinful as well. And then Jesus says, where are your persecutors? Where are those throwing stones at you? And she says, they've gone. There's no one. And then Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And that statement, go and sin no more, is what we are charged to do. Now it's impossible. We are going to sin constantly. Um, 
it's an impossibility and we know this. We know that's the case, but there is a changing of our hearts and a desire to do good, to reflect Christ, to have our hearts be changed from the inside out, to reflect what God, what his heart is for. And we realize and we see the things of the world, how wicked they are, and we slowly or abruptly remove those things from our lives. But someone whose heart is hardened cannot see it. They can't see it. They cannot see that it's bad. A broken heart can be healed. God can work with a broken heart, but a hard heart that's locked up can't be worked with. It has to be broken first. And that is this process that we're going to see. The reason why Pharaoh's heart is hard is because God wants to continue to show his greatness and to battle against the false gods of Egypt. And I could keep talking about this over and over again. Um, Join me in prayer. Lord, thank you. Thank you for softening my heart. Thank you for your word that shows us what your heart is and your desire for us. Thank you that you love us and you want none of us to come to destruction, but you want all of us to come to repentance and salvation in you. Thank you that we are able to learn about these things through your word. And I pray, Lord, that we would take them to heart that we would learn the lessons that were taught to Egypt and to Pharaoh by the reading of your word. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Praise you, Lord. Amen. Join me next week as we're going to continue on uh, to Exodus chapter 10. And God's going to continue uh, pouring out his wrath on Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is going to continue to do the same thing that he's been doing. Uh, We have three plagues left, uh, eight, nine, and ten, and they are severe. And we're going to look at each of them. So I love you guys. Have a great week, and I'll see you next week.